If you're anything like I am, we human beings don't like processes. We like events. That's why we cook stuff in the microwave instead of the oven. And if you have ever eaten your food cold because the microwave takes too long, you know what I'm talking about. You just prefer things to move fast. But in this process, when God gives you that dream and starts to develop it, in that process, the picture becomes crisp and clean and bold. And that that dream begins to get burned onto your heart and your memories. And the longer that dream is pressed in on you, the more that dream becomes a framework by which you think and organize your life. And it becomes a framework by which you see your life. Three weeks ago, we started this Awake series. We basically said, God has a dream for your life. Last week, we talked about discerning that dream. Today, I want to talk to you about developing that dream. Now, if you have a bulletin or something to write on, take it out. There's some notes you're probably going to want to take. Too many times, we Christians go from crisis to crisis to crisis, and we never really learn how to live a blessed life. But God's will for you and I is to live a blessed life. Now, let me describe for you what I mean. Look at Ephesians 4, the verse I asked you to look at. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this is the key verse. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just leave that there for a minute. I want you to look at this verse through a different lens than you've probably looked at it before. When we look at this verse, we tend to look at it through the lens of what the, what the leadership of the church does. Or, or what, the, what the purpose of the church is or how the church functions. What I want you to do is reverse the camera angle and look at it from the exact opposite side and what the result of the church is. What's the result of the, of the inner working of the kingdom in your life? It is to bring you to a point of unity and faith and in knowledge of the Son of God, to bring you to a place of maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to prepare you for God's dream in your life. That preparation includes maturity, knowledge, unity and faith, so that you may obtain fullness. One of the things we learn in this passage is it's not God's will for us just to move from crisis to crisis to crisis, but God's will for you and I is the fullness of Christ. 
That rather than just scratching and clawing along, trying to find the motivation, searching for the emotional energy, straining for the resources to do what God's called us to do, that we're actually trained and ready, mature and prepared. The church becomes healthy and fruitful as God's dream for your life comes into fulfillment. Now, developing that dream like a pitcher in a dark room. Let's talk about how the dream that God has given you is developed. There tends to be seasons of development. It doesn't mean that they're linear. It doesn't mean that they're chronological. It doesn't mean that necessarily you go from one to two to three. You may be in all three at once. You may circle through them. They may get jumbled and out of order at times. You may cycle through them at different points in your life. But as I look into the Scripture, I see three basic seasons of preparation that comes into our life to develop the dream that God has put inside of us. Here's the first one. Seasons of preparation. Moses spent 40 years in an Egyptian education system And then 40 years learning about spiritual leadership on the backside of the desert. At the end of 80 years, Moses became the leader he was supposed to become so that he could do the dream that God had called him to do. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation for three and a half years of ministry. I think when God gives us the dream that we actually put the value on the wrong thing. We think the fulfillment of the dream is more important. It's the most important thing. Can I tell you the most important thing is not the fulfillment of the dream. It's the preparation for the dream. That's what's more important than the fulfillment of the dream. Because if the preparation for the dream's done right, a result of the preparation is fulfillment. Preparation time is more important than ministry time. And if the preparation's done right, the fulfillment will naturally be effective. Paul the Apostle, when he was still Saul, was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most educated men of his day. He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But after he was saved, he prepared and prayed. You can jot this in your notes. You can find this in Galatians 1, 17 and 18. Paul went into three years of preparation after he was a believer. And after that three years of preparation, he went to the leaders of the church, told them the story of his life, asked them to qualify him to do apostolic ministry throughout the regions of the world that he was ministering at the time. Isn't it amazing? The greatest apostle the church has probably ever had would not go into the world and do the dream that God had given to him unqualified. Everything in the kingdom is a spiritual process. Most of the process is preparation. The little tip of the iceberg that you see above the waterline is the dream. The enormous chunk underneath the water that most of us never see is the preparation. Jesus' three years is what we focus on because it's what we know most about and it's the most miraculous. 
But what about the 30 years that's below the waterline that we don't see? Most of the seasons of preparation that I've been in, I didn't know I was in it when I was in it. I was just in it. I only knew that I was really frustrated and I wanted out. I didn't know that I was actually in one of God's shaping experiences for my life. Anybody remember the old movie, The Karate Kid? Do you remember that? Rock on. Remember that? That was a good flick, wasn't it? It's a great story about a kid dealing with the issues of life, the coming of age, all this stuff. You got this single mother who moves to a new city to try to escape. She's been divorced. She's trying to raise her uh, early teenage son. He's being picked on at the new school. He wants to know how does he deal with issues of self-esteem and self-defense and all this. And he meets this little oriental fellow named Mr. Miyagi. Oh, yeah. And Mr. Miyagi's going to train Ralph Macchio how to, how to protect himself. And so going into this training, Ralph Macchio says, I know what this is about. This is about me developing karate hands. So he shows up for the first day of training and Miyagi says, wax the car. Okay. So he waxes the car. No, that's not right. Do it like this. Okay. Wax on, wax off. Paint the house. Stroke, stroke. Sand the deck. And, and this day turns into day, turns into day. Ralph Macchio begins to get frustrated at this old man and says, What does this have to do with the dream that I have of showing up at school and not getting hit in the face? And he starts to think, this old man doesn't care about me. He's just using me. Now you search your heart real close and think, have you ever had that thought about God? Then Mr. Miyagi steps out one day and Machio in a volcano of frustration says, what are you doing to me? You're using me. I can't stand this. When are you going to teach me, teach me karate? And then he starts to, they start to engage each other. And he says, wax on. He waxes on. He waxes off. He paint strokes. And he realizes the entire time that he has been learning the technique that he needed to do the dream that he needed to do. He just didn't know it. There are a lot of times in your spiritual life, God's saying to you, wax on, wax off. And you can in that moment get the attitude, I could do a lot more, but God, you've got me waxing a car. I could preach to multitudes, you've got me leading this little Bible study. You put a dream in my heart, but I'm stuck in the nursery. I could do so much more for you, but I'm working this crummy little job. These are seasons of preparation where you are being developed and formed and shaped and the skills are being put into you that you're going to need when the top of the iceberg peeks out the surface of the water. By the way, 
most of the seasons of development and preparation are painful. If you'll look at the times of your life when you've really been willing to make changes in your attitude and in your behavior and in your direction, it's not normally when you said, wow, that's a great idea. Let me make that change in my life. It's usually when you're really hurting. It's usually in the middle of pain when we become desperate enough to do what God wanted us to do all along. Most of us change when we hurt. Most of those seasons are called preparation. Until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing, we usually don't change. Here's the second season. There are seasons of preparation and oftentimes are followed by seasons of insignificance. Seasons of insignificance. When you are saved, God puts inside of you dream seeds. Fragments of giftings and potential that's real, but raw and undeveloped. And He's going to develop those across the continuum of your Christian life. I think most people get stuck at this particular season. Things seem like they're happening. God gave me a dream. I'm in the process. And then you just get to that point where it feels like you're hitting reality and it's never going to happen. That would be a season of insignificance. Spiritual growth in most lives contains a time where it feels like what you're doing just doesn't matter at all. I remember when I was 16, I knew in a dramatic way God had called me to be in ministry somehow. And um, I was set on it. I was prepared for it. I was getting ready. But none of the financial part came through for me. My parents couldn't afford it. I couldn't get a grant. I, I could, couldn't get a, a loan enough to cover. So I had to stay home an entire year. Uh, the whole year after high school, everybody off went and did their thing. And I stayed home and worked three jobs because I was trying to earn the money to go. One of the jobs I had was a patient transporter at Baptist Hospital in downtown Memphis. I would take patients from their room to the treatment area, the treatment area back. There were 19 floors and 32 miles of hallways in that hospital. And I walked all of them. And it felt like a huge waste of time. It felt like no, I was one person in a department of 400 people. On the lowest rung, practically, the hospital had to offer. And I got so tired of working every week just to make a check, just to get on with what God had put in my heart to do anyway. I wanted to do something that mattered. 
what happened to me in that time prepared me. The purpose of the season of insignificant is to isolate you. And this is exactly what happened to me. In this season, I became isolated. When God gets you isolated from your own ability, your own fame, your own talent, your own friends, your own success, what do you do? You do the only thing there is left to do. You turn to Him. Which is exactly what He wanted in the first place. You begin to focus your faith on God. You begin to trust Him in that season. And that's the exact purpose of that season. Sometimes God has to take everything else away so He can birth in you total trust in Him. When I look back on that time, when I, when I finally raised the money, went off to school the next year, began to train and prepare, and I thought really get to it, I look back on that time and realized what God had done in my life. I was not the traditional incoming freshman at Southeastern College. Because of that year. I was in a whole other school that I didn't know I was in. But I look back on that time and it was a time of such sweet intimacy with God because I was a stranger in a strange place doing a strange thing for a season. But I got to know God real well. I talked to Him a lot because I was by myself a lot. I'd be walking those hallways alone. Going to the next thing, walking to the next thing, working the Saturday shift, working the holidays. And I got to know God a lot. And I realized that's what it was about. And actually, later on in my life, I look back on that time and missed it. Because I, I got so close to Him. There are three types of isolation that you may experience. In a season of insignificance, the purpose is to isolate you so that you might trust God. There are three types of isolations that you may face. The first one is isolation from fellow servants. There are people that come into your life and go out of your life. And every time you lose a relationship, it's a painful experience. Remember when Paul the Apostle said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. But what Paul says is, I want to go on in the ministry and Demas doesn't. And the only way I can go on is to let Demas go. There are those times in your life when you'll have to choose between a relationship and the dream God's given you. There are those moments where you say, I can't go on with both. And those moments are lonely and painful and they're times of isolation designed to help you understand what intimacy in Christ will mean. Every time someone separates from you, it's a painful experience. But you just need to understand there are some relationships that are for a season. Take them as they are and move on with God. The second type of isolation sounds like the first one. It's social isolation. There'll be times in your life that you'll be isolated socially. 
It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Moses, as far as spiritual... If you had the spirituality meter here this morning, he would be in the red. Moses was about as spiritual as you could get. Yet he leads people out of 400 years of slavery. They plunder another nation on the way. They have more money than they've had in 400 years. So they're moving from slavery to riches to a place of promise. But in the middle of that process, the people begin to complain. And what does Moses do? Moses says, forget what I've been through. God, these people are your people. What should I do? Moses withdrew to the mountaintop away from people because he had to know what God wanted him to do next. Moses didn't worry about being isolated from people. He was concerned about being in fellowship with God. Now here's the third kind of isolation that you'll have in a season of insignificance. Resource isolation. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter what the prosperity gospel people have told you, there will be times where you will not have all the resources that you need. Now, God's will for your life is fullness. We've already seen that. Fullness so that we may be fully prepared to live the dream that God's given us. But even when you do everything right... There will be times where there'll be lack. Look, the devil took Job's family. The devil took Job's money. He took Job's friendships. He took Job's health. He took his reputation. Job was sitting on an ash pile of life, but he still did the right thing. He kept his focus right. Do you remember the verse in the book of Job where he said, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. My focus is on Him, my faith is in Him, and my trust is in Him. Here's what Job basically said. You can take my money, you can take my family, you can take my health, you can take my name, but devil, you cannot touch my spirit because my spirit is hidden with Christ in God. If you keep your focus right, now listen to me. In the season of insignificance, In the time when there's not enough, if you'll keep your focus right, God will restore you. At the end of the book of Job, God gave Job back double everything he had before. Here's the third season. It's a season of preparation, the season of insignificance. And then then the third one, you're not going to like any better than the first two. The season of waiting. I hate waiting. Do you like to wait? I hate to wait. Let me give you five things that happen when you wait. Waiting, and the reason that God puts you in a season of waiting. Waiting actually produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Waiting produces patience. Isn't it a paradox that... Older people and younger people have a whole different view of waiting. The people who have the least time left in life have the most patience. And the people who have the most time in life have the least patience. Why? Because it's not about who has the most time. It's about who has developed patience. Waiting develops 
patience in you. And so God will, from time to time, put you and I in a season where we just wait. Waiting is not wasted time. Write this verse down, this reference. James 1.4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Reverse that verse. If you don't wait, you lack. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you don't wait, you lack. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work patience in you, you're going to lack something. You're going to get further down the road in that dream fulfillment, and you're going to need something you don't have. Because you didn't allow patience to work its work in you. Waiting produces kingdom fruit. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Sometimes, I've done it, you may have done it, you just try to force. See, here's the problem with God uh, giving us a dream. We're not sure what path to take to make the dream happen. How much of the dream coming to pass is what I'm supposed to do, and how much of the dream coming to pass is what God's supposed to do. Well, that's not clear when you're like six months old in Jesus. It just doesn't... So sometimes you press in too hard, you put your hand to something you shouldn't have put your hand to because you're trying to make the dream work. And part of that fullness of Christ and maturing in Him is learning... When you're supposed to withhold and wait for Him to do it. And let me tell you, there's very few things God's ever done in my life that it felt like it was on time. It felt to me like it was too late. Anybody else? But God develops in us the kind of mature patience and confidence and trust and faith that He needs us to have to do the dream in waiting. Waiting reveals the motives of those around you. Sometimes God has you wait because the people that you think are with you are not with you. And if you launch out, you're going to walk off on a limb that's being sawed off behind you. But waiting reveals those motives so that you can move. Young, young men trust people and test God. Old men trust God and test people. We don't want to live lives that are filled with cynicism. But we do want to learn... That there's only one actually 100% trustworthy person. And it's God. You know this verse well. Waiting produces strength. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up and with wings as eagles. They'll walk and not faint. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. I'm going to ask Pastor Micah to come. Developing the dream is really developing the dreamer. That's really what it is. Developing the dream 
is really developing the dreamer. God's, you're in that dark room watching that image become clearer on that little piece of paper and you think what God's working on is the paper and what God thinks He's working on is you and me. And God works us through those seasons to keep that development happening inside of us. Last Sunday night, I shared about the life of Christ and how He was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you look in the Greek language, the Bible says that Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now, from a human view, you may look at that and go, did the Holy Spirit not know that Satan was there? I mean, think about it for a second. Jesus was driven by the Spirit of God straight into the devil's catcher's mitt. Do you know that not everywhere the Spirit leads you will be Satan free? God's going to lead you to some places where Satan's waiting for you. Now that feels like they're teaming up against us, doesn't it? Everywhere God leads you, not, it's not going to be problem free. It's not going to be demon free. It's not going to have all the right things in place. Sometimes He leads you Directly into the enemy's hands. Not necessarily for you to defeat him. Although Jesus did. But to develop you. To give you the kingdom insight that you're going to need to face him again on another battlefield. To show you his strategies. To show you His ways. To teach you and prepare you and train you. God's developing you. What God is doing in this church right now is He's developing us. He's developing you. He's developing me. He's developing the dream. We've got a destiny. But we still got to fight for it. This morning when I woke up, something happened that I want to share with you that I've never used in a message before, but it, it so struck me that it was God's Word for us now. When I, when I got up this morning, Stacy said to me, I woke up in the middle of the night filled with fear just overwhelmed with fear. She said, so I decided to use that fear as a as a as a urge to intercede. So she said, I just started praying. And she said, as I did, the Lord said a few words to me. And when she told me that, 
something resonated in my spirit and I said, this is the word of the Lord for Kingwood Church and us now in the midst of the attack of the enemy on our lives. The first word is hope. No matter what you're going through, your hope is in God. At these prayer times, God has been washing the dust off of our dreams with tears. And I want to declare to you this morning that your hope, no matter how distant you feel, no matter how numb you feel, no matter what attack you're under, your hope is in God. And you've got to turn to Him. You may be in a season of isolation this morning. Let that isolation drive you into His presence. The next word is healing. God will right every wrong attack done on your life in this church. God will restore. God will give back. God will turn back these things on the enemy. The third word's attack. There just seems to be a patterned attack across this church right now. A patterned attack. But the word of the Lord is, He's a refuge. It's the fourth word in the middle of the attack. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted... Satan said, turn these stones to bread. And he said, I don't have to eat that because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Psalm says it like this. He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Somehow Jesus was eating off the buffet of heaven, even though his body was starving right in the middle of the face of his enemy. I want you to know this morning that that you may be you may be in the middle of a development. You're in the middle of a process, but listen, God will take hope and healing and the attack of the enemy and the, and and the refuge name of God, he will use these things to terrorize the enemy. Joseph said it like this. What the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. And I want you to understand, whatever you're going through, you may not know which season you're in. But let me tell you, don't quit. It's a season. It's not a drop-off point. God hadn't left you. He hadn't forgot you. He's not given up on you. In light of all this, I want to read to you Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. God has called you according to His purpose. And even when it feels like the enemy's winning or the 
the deck is stacked against you, I'm here to proclaim to you and to the enemy and to the forces that are at bear on this church that God is working in all of them for your good. Who's good? For your good. God is working for your good and my good. And He's going to bring this dream to pass. Don't quit the process. Let God work the process in you. Would you stand with me this morning? With every eye closed... This morning, you're in the process. What you have available to you is the power of the Holy Spirit, His ministry, and the body of Christ. You may be weak, you may be weary, you may be sick, you may be in a season of lack, you may be in a season of isolation, you may be waiting, you may be being prepared. But I want you to know something. For three weeks, we have met people at this prayer time who've been on the absolute verge of quitting. But I want you to know that God is restoring. He wants to encourage you, bless you. His will for you is fullness.